it was just boring. It was dry. It was plenty of law lectures that didn't necessarily make sense. Business law being taught through the the worst case scenario type of lecture, breach of contract and bankruptcy and, and so on and so forth. And when I started to practice, I was like, but law is actually fun. Law isn't as rigid as it was used to look like in law school. Welcome to the Council Podcast, a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. My guest today is Sarah Weiss, a thoroughly modern in-house lawyer with a fun and authentic online presence. Sarah is a French national working in the UK who I met on Instagram of all places through her truth-telling page at Very Lawyer Problems. When I started this podcast, I just knew that I needed to interview Sarah, at the very least as an excuse to chat in person and connect outside of our social media accounts. As I've come to know, Sarah has had an interesting career in the law, starting in-house straight from university, working for a tech company, and then moving to a sole counsel role with less than three years post-qualifying experience. She uses her wit and good humor to connect with the business and has been successful in building a legal team that collaborates and communicates with clients through legal design and even cartoons. Sarah really thinks outside the box, and I loved getting to know her better during our chat. Enjoy this episode with Sarah Weiss, and please feel free to share it with anyone in your network who may also find value in it for their own career. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Paris. Thank you so much, Mel, for your time. Really excited to be part of your podcast. Well, this is a long time coming, I think. We connected on Instagram originally and we've liked and we've shared and we've commented, but we've never spoken in person. So this is long overdue. I just love your content and what you do. and We'll get into that later on, but it's so nice to be speaking in person. I'm really excited as well. So to kick things off, I'm going to ask you what I ask every guest. If you had a limitless credit card and you could spend it anywhere on anything what would you spend it on and why it's definitely not the right time but it would be on Expedia and I would just buy Ah. as many travel as I possibly can and just travel around well that is not the time at the moment but it's a common answer actually (laughs) Uh, trust me if I just could just could do that all the time right And I know that your career has taken you uh, around Europe and in particular to the UK as well. I think that's uh, you know amazing that you can actually take yourself and, and work as a lawyer in another country like that. I'd love to know how you go about doing that, actually. Is that easy to do or is that quite difficult to transfer? I'm guessing it is maybe very unique to the European markets and the fact that obviously new European countries are part of the single market. But to be honest with you, Mel, this isn't something that was available as such. Like I originally came into the UK because I had been unemployed in France for a while. So after Mm -hmm. graduation, 
And I was like, I really wanted to begin my in-house legal career somewhere. And because I couldn't find anything suitable in France, as being a, a young graduate, I was like, okay, well, I needed to improve my English at the time. So I was like, okay, in the absence of any interesting role in France, then let's just explore what's out there. And this is how it all came along. So I initially went in, into the UK to A, improve my English, and eventually find maybe a paralegal job or something along those lines. So it didn't necessarily come up straight away either, but it was more because I didn't have enough experience at the time. So when I first came in the UK, I basically failed. I couldn't secure a legal role. It was only after a couple of months working in a coffee shop, going back to Paris for a six-month contract, coming back to the UK, that I realized the UK market for legal professionals is very global. And you have in-house mm. lawyers or even lawyers, generally speaking, from all sorts of jurisdictions. And that's definitely something that is unique to some markets, which is obviously the UK is one of them, maybe the, the Netherlands, Ireland, to some degree as well. So everywhere mm. you would have a global international market, you would usually have legal professionals from all sorts of jurisdictions as well. So when you finally did land your first legal role, was this in London? It was in London, in a tech and, company. And what was it? A tech company, amazing. So that was my first permanent in-house legal role. I had been had graduated from France for like 18 months. I couldn't find a job. I had found just a six-month contract back in Paris. And it was part of an international legal department in Paris. And then eventually, when I couldn't find a job in France again, so that's where I started to look in the UK. So it was basically a French-speaking legal role. And the funny thing is that obviously I was very junior and I, had, and I didn't have much experience, but I still got the interview and I went there. And the head of legal was definitely, I guess he was definitely open-minded. And, and that was the first time I came across what an in-house legal interview could look like, especially mm. in another country. And I remember the former manager at the time asking me questions around, okay, if you have a commercial agreement, what are the things that you would look into? Right. So he wasn't interested in my knowledge of the industry. What he wanted to know is what would be my kind of automatic reaction to, to the day to day job as an in-house lawyer. Right. And what was my commercial acumen as well? I kind of mentioned things around confidentiality, liability, you know, those kind of basic things that you would look at as a lawyer. But he also wanted to know what was my commercial awardist. And when I started to say payment schedule, payment terms, and he was like, oh, that's really good. Like, you basically know how to not only be a legal partner, but also kind of support the team from a commercial angle. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so this is how it all came along. And this, is, and this is how I got the job. And where do you think you got that insight from before you had even worked in-house? Was that just from paralegal contract work or was it something that just made sense to you that you should be looking at commercial things as well as legal things? I was very blessed at the time, Mel, that I had enough work experience. So I had recruitment, I had done like, I, I had done so many jobs at the time already that I think it kind of enabled me to think outside of the legal arenas. And I think this is how mm. my commercial acumen developed. It, it isn't something that you get used to in law school, that's for sure. You will never have a law lecture where you, you learn about payment schedule and payment terms. 
and the practical implementation of limitation of liability or an indemnity. Yes, we went through theory, but how does that work in the real world? You know, you just, you don't know until you get that work experience. I think it's about practice and being in the real world and seeing what drives business, I suppose. So it's so wonderful that you had that experience to really get yourself across the line in the interview. It sounds like he was impressed with you bringing the duality there. And as you know, I'm sure, oh, I know you've come to to very much learn that it, you cannot remove the commercial from the legal when we're working in-house. It's just <laughs> twins, they go together. <laughs> 100%. I think law school hasn't prepared us for a lot of things. And the reality of what business looks like is definitely one of them. (laughs) And I think that at least in Australia, although I'd like to ask you if it's the same in Europe as well, law students aren't exposed to in-house life that often. It's actually all about going to a big law firm and they may not even know about in-house practice, let alone thinking about the law in a commercial practical business sense. There's a disconnect there between the opportunities that are available with your law degree and what you're being told about or exposed to. Absolutely. Is that the same? It is exactly the same. I think private practice is kind of the the golden route for legal professionals. Some things are universal, aren't they? (laughs) That's absolutely the case. And unfortunately, you came across an in-house legal profession later down the line because I didn't like law school and I wasn't necessarily a fan of legal concepts either. So I was like, "Mm, private practice won't work for me. And I kind of came across the in-house legal option really randomly, if you will. And when I came across, I was like, actually, that's that's going to work for me because it's kind of the in-between. Yes, you are a legal professional, but You are very much in the arena. You support the business on a daily basis. And also because I was a people person, I wanted to support people. And I think this is what we do as in-house lawyer, supporting obviously our internal clients, helping them out, closing deals, even though this is not the way they might view it. (laughs) They might view us as as deal breakers (laughs) or business preventers. But this is definitely what what I enjoyed about in-house. And this is the reason why I decided to go to in-house legal role in the first place. I know that you're very passionate about it now. You share on social media across many different platforms your experiences and also I think again talking to the the next generation and the law students and the the graduates as well and just letting them know that there are other ways to practice and that if you're not suited or you just don't find a passion for a private practice law firm that there's there's so many other things that you can do and in-house is just one of them and I know that you're quite vocal and fly the flag for the in-house profession, which is probably how we connected, just being like-minded in that way. (laughs) I wish that you were doing what you were doing 10 years ago when I was a grad, but nonetheless, you're doing the good work now, so I commend you for that. But I'd love to ask you about that first in-house role in the tech company and what your experience was, how you got into the, the business and what you did to be successful there. That's a very good point. So, and, and I have actually um, a story about that. So my first in-house legal role, I, re- I will always remember, it was my first day and I was given an NDA to review. So I guess the NDA is probably the contract that every junior lawyer <laughs> comes mm-hmm. across and has to review maybe a hundred times 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the first phase. <laughs> and that was, so my first contract uh, was an NDA, right? I remember I had made some comments or edits because that was natural to me. You are an sure. in-house lawyer, so you look at the legal jargon, the legal terms. But I mean, in all fairness, the edits that I had made were probably not critical, right? I mean, it was more as a way to improve the, the contract rather than the necessity. Sure. And I will always remember I had returned the NDA to the salesperson and the salesperson went to the head of legal and complained. For them, I was kind of holding them back, right, from, from returning the NDA to the client and, and obviously um, holding them back from having that conversation with the client. And mm. I will always remember my, my manager at the time who said to me, do not delay. That was his words, do not delay the business. And this is really how I came across the positioning of the in-house lawyer. Basically, yes. yes, you are here to do your job, but your job shouldn't come at the cost of the business time yes. and money, basically. Yes. And you really have to strike that balance. That makes perfect sense. And that is absolutely the balance I know very well myself between protecting the company and making the business happen and getting yeah. the deal done. Can you imagine how we adjust as we yes. as we develop our experience? But that was definitely what, what kind of kicked my in-house, my first in-house legal role. And this is what kind of set the tone as well. I kind of knew from that point that, yes, I had to do my job, but I also had to consider the business needs and, and constraints. And this is how I've been developing my in-house legal career ever since. That's wonderful advice, actually, that your first boss gave you and has served you well by the sounds of it. It definitely did. So if we move from then, baby lawyer Sarah, marking up NDAs for hours on end, <laughs> to your current role, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing at the moment and what an average day in your legal life looks like? Sarah as a baby lawyer has definitely changed ever since. So that was my first role in the tech company. And I had, so I, I stayed there for like a good year and a half. I was part of a legal team. And I then moved to my next role, which is my basically current role as a sole counsel for a company operating in the pharmaceutical industry, which was massively expanding. And, now, and I basically have become their first uh, in-house legal hire. Oh, wow. And being a sole counsel is its own challenge, right? Because mm -hmm. you really, especially when you're the first hire, so you are really the first legal person in the organization. People who are there have never worked with, with an in-house lawyer before. So they really don't know what you are here for or what to expect from you. And you really have to kind of create everything from scratch. And mm. I had joined the company and I was like maybe two years post-qualification experience roughly so I was still pretty junior right and I think I hadn't realized at the time the challenge that it would become to be a sole counsel in a fast-growing organization oh my goodness and you have no head of legal to speak to no GC so you're really in the arena by yourself 
So it was kind of a roller coaster. <laughs> what did you do for support? Well, I mean, we we could outsource, right, certain matters. Um, okay, so there was some budget for external lawyers. There was, and I think I was also very blessed in the sense that uh, I was supported. So I was supported to get practical law, for example, as a legal database that I guess most of us w- w- would use. So I had yes. I had some support to some degree, but on the flip side, as you know. In-house lawyers are very much expected to get on with things, right? So it was another type of challenge. Um, oh, I'll say. Moving from an in-house legal team with a head of legal, making all the decisions to being on my own and kind of uh, reporting to the, the CFO and, you know, try to work things out. But this is also where you realize that, again, yes, there is the law school paranoia <laughs> that you get uh, told about. And then there is the reality. The reality is that, you know, you have client agreements, you have client expectations, you have the salespeople on your case every single day willing to convert deals. So the company has targets, has wages to pay and bills and so on and so forth. And I think this is what kind of makes you move forward. So I had to kind of learn as I just get on with it. Yeah, that was that was it. You just get on, get on with it. You don't have all the answers. That's fine. Use your best common legal sense, if you will. Did you do anything in particular to get the business on side and get them used to working with a lawyer? I think what what has really helped was my personality and my positioning. And I guess it, it's quite funny because I was, I guess a couple of years ago, uh, when I started my career, my personality was almost a problem. <laughs> but that's your very colorful character. I know this about you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, but it, and it's not for every organization. And I get that. I, I think a couple of years ago, I didn't necessarily understand why it was a problem, but every organization has a culture and you can't fit into every business culture. And that's okay. You need to find where you belong. This is what has helped me is that. I was very supportive. I'm all I would like to think so. Maybe if you ask one of my colleagues, they would be like, oh, well, hell no. <laughs> she, <was. laughs> she has been stopping us from, from converting deals. But I, I'd like to think that I've been very supportive. I was really always trying to find solutions, meet them halfway. And at the end of the day, let them decide for themselves. Because again, we don't make decisions. And I think because of that, they really trusted me and they uh, really valued my support. And when we started to really expand and I kind of became slammed, I had support thanks to the business because the business units were very supportive. They pushed for me to have additional people to help. You embedded yourself and showed your value. So they were happy to give you the resources that you needed. That's so wonderful. Indeed. And I think this is really rare um, from, you know, business people to understand why lawyers are busy. So the fact that they actually understood that was, I guess, because they they knew, they knew that I would support them and therefore I needed the support. That makes sense. Help me help you. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well done on being thrown in the deep end, soul counsel growing rapidly and now, you know, solidifying yourself in the business. And I assume you've, you've got those support and that resource from additional team members. Indeed. That's wonderful. And now you're you're getting the next challenge, the next phase of managing people. What is that like? Managing people and building a legal department. That's another challenge in its own right. I've definitely moved from one challenge to the other. I'm managing people 
So I now have a paralegal and a couple of in-house lawyers as well. And again, I mean, in a year, it's just crazy to have grown that fast. I guess managing people, I mean, managing lawyers or even paralegals isn't necessarily hard in a sense, because we all do the same job to some degree. So you are very much in a position to understand what they do, what their challenges are. And I think the Mm. more you can understand your people, the more you can support them. So the managing side of it isn't necessarily complicated, especially when you have good people. I think hiring the right people was the challenge. That was my main challenge, you know, finding the right people with the right, again, personality, cultural fit, because you Mm. don't hire people for yourself. You hire people for the business. And that makes a massive difference. So I really, I think that was my main challenge to find the right people to work with and get on board. And managing them, once you have found the right people, is an easy task, to be fair. The other challenge is obviously to build the legal department itself. Because you would like to think that when a company grows, it is positive, don't get me wrong, but it comes with its own set of challenge because technically you have to learn and grow. And at the same time, you have to keep up with the never growing volume of work as well. And that's where you have to really think about the strategy of the of the department, kind of think about how you would allocate the work, who will be responsible for what. And at the same time, mm-hmm. keep on you know, supporting the day-to-day because, you know, the job needs to be done. Legal operations becomes Le- important. Legal operation becomes important. And you also have to do more with less because you can't just keep on hiring people whenever you have volume. At, at one point, you know, you have to think about ways to do more with the same amount of people. Again, absolutely. that's where the legal operation part comes in. That's where you look at processes. That's where you look at ways to potentially also educate the business to do certain things themselves and remove the necessity for legal to be involved. Give the NDAs to the business, make them self-service, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And also give them ownership. I think it's also the lack of education. There, There is often that belief that contract equals legal. Guys, a contract is a business instrument. Yes, it is managed by legal from a paperwork side of it, but you really have to own it. You really have to know what's in there. And that's often a piece that not all professionals in the business world are used to. They think there's words on a piece of paper. I'll just email it to Sarah and I don't have to see it again. (laughs) There is a document in foreign language. No one knows what to do with it. Let's leave it to legal. (laughs) These are universal truths, my friend. (laughs) We can learn from each other and and what you do and works for you in your business will go some way to help me and and others. And we we share and learn from each other because I do think they are universal challenges. I'd love to ask you what it's like to work in the pharmaceutical industry. I can imagine that is highly complex. It is very complex and that's what makes it challenging. I guess the more heavily regulated an industry is and the more challenging it becomes from managing the day-to-day because obviously you are not, you are working with obviously high players in the field, so massive pharma companies. Mm. So those companies have, I would say, a really great amount of expectations from who they work with. That's a challenge in its own right. And then also it's getting to know the industry itself. And that's where, again, when you are an in-house lawyer, you really have to embrace the industry you're in because Mm -hmm. your legal knowledge 
content. I mean, there's so much your, your so legal knowledge can do. It's all great news to know about indemnification and liability. But if you don't know what the, the industry standard practices are in the pharmaceutical industry, how can you efficiently support the business? So you really have to be aware of the codes of conduct and industry standards and also the, just a normal way of doing business in the pharmaceutical industry. That's yes. not the same as doing business in tech or in finance, banking. And it keeps things interesting for us as we progress through our careers, doesn't it? We can pick up a different industry and go back to scratch and be a beginner again and be learning an entirely new way of, of doing business, which is something I love about working in-house. I've gone from financial services to an airport to cloud computing. You can definitely switch industries, absolutely. And you've done the same. You, you've switched across very different industries and proven to be able to enjoy and be successful in, in both. So I think there's, I know there's transferable skills, but there is a lot of deep diving to be done on that particular industry. You're trying to do that at the same time as establishing a new department. I just think that's incredible. You've had quite a whirlwind couple of years when you stopped to think about it. And honestly, in terms of post-qualification experience, I'm like five years. You've packed a lot of experience into those five years by the sounds of it, that's for sure. Oh, 100%. But I feel that the five first years in the in-house legal profession, at least, are the most critical, in my opinion, because this is really where you, A, get to learn the, about the job, but also, B, when you start to think about the type of environment you enjoy working in and the industry you, you, you prefer. And this is where you kind of set the ground for the next five. Absolutely. I've probably seen, yeah, the equivalent of maybe 10 years worth of work in, in, in a normal <laughs> company, if you will. It sounds like it's been quite busy for you in this role. And not only do you have the day-to-day -day job, you also have a fabulous side hustle, I'd call it, passion project in your Instagram and your social media accounts, which is how we came to meet. And you're so creative and so entertaining, Sarah. Oh my goodness, you make me laugh on a daily basis <laughs> with your Instagram stories and your TikToks because it's like you are me. It's like this is my experience. <laughs> I tag our legal intern in almost every one of your posts because it's <laughs> it's her life too. And and we we just love your content. We're complete fans. And I want to know how this started. Where did inspiration come from? So generally speaking, the constant creation came from my own frustration about law school. I didn't like law school, not because I didn't like law in itself, but because it was just boring. It was dry. It was, I mean, and I guess in Australia, you would have the same plenty of law lectures that didn't necessarily make sense. A business law being taught through the the worst case scenario <laughs> type of mm -hmm. um, type of lecture, breach of contract and bankruptcy and, and so on and so forth. And, and when I started to practice, I was like, but law is actually fun. Law isn't as rigid as it was used to look like in law school. And there's so many things you can do. There's so many things you can play with, you know, to suit the business needs and, and, and move things forward. So I think it came from that. And I was like, I wish at the time when I was studying, there was somebody out there kind of showing me what the real life looked like and not in a boring way, more in a, in a way that makes it entertaining. I think I have a passion for education and entertainment combined wow. because I think the oh, more, yes. 
the more you can educate a lot better when you entertain, when you make the content funny and accessible. So this is how it all started. So I guess before even the TikTok video thing came in, and I guess you would have seen on my Instagram, I was much more around simplifying legal concepts with the visuals. That's right. Um, yes, and your legal design. Correct. So it was a way for me to kind of show to the outside world that yes it is legal content but when you make it visually good people can understand a lot more people can relate and can you know they yeah I mean you can just make the legal field a lot more attractive if you will (laughs) absolutely you're presenting the information in a an easy to understand way with fun graphics like oh my gosh your GDPR pizza that was hilarious (laughs) You've done all types of things. There was a cookie. There was like a love story back at Valentine's Day between two types of contracts. <laughs> Indeed. I don't know where you, you where you get this inspiration from, but it's so fun. And that was the, the really how it all started, creating legal content in such a way that makes it fun, accessible, relatable, because that's how you educate in an efficient way. And this is how, for example, business people, developed their GDPR awareness. It was because in my training, I had to put some obviously visuals together, some games, and it, it, it kind of does its magic, right? Yeah. So that's, that's how the content creation started. And I think TikTok, I was, I couldn't really relate to TikTok historically when I started, but I just went into the platform and I was like, okay, let's give it a try. And and I basically, I just posted a random video on Instagram. Honestly, now I was thinking it's never going to work. People won't, <laughs> you know, people won't just, will just be like, but you know, what the hell is this? I know and that I would feeling. Have three likes and, and that would be it. And oh my God, like the enthusiasm and it just blown me away. So That's the TikTok wonderful. thing was an accident. As the best content is when we get out of our own way stop judging our content and just post it I'm sure we're quite surprised by how well it's received even though we thought it might be a bit silly (laughs) yeah absolutely and that's where when it comes to content creation you really have to step away from your own judgment you really have to let the audience decide what they want to see and the TikTok videos I mean I'm not planning on becoming the next legal comic right (laughs) the legal comedian (laughs) but I think what I what I wanted to show is what the in-house lawyer life looks like without you guys having to read an article, a very seriously drafted article. When you look at, yes. the, at the TikTok videos, you know <laughs> what the in-house life looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. The frustrations and the fun bits and the rawness of the day-to-day and the, the common issues that we come across. It's all out there in the open. You know, there's no hiding. I think you do such a wonderful job of just being very real and very relatable. You touched on it before in getting out of your own way and letting the audience judge the content for for what it is. Is there any other tips that you would give to someone in the professional space that wanted to create content online but was a little bit nervous or a little bit unsure? I think you have to challenge your your own fears. I was the first one not not comfortable with posting content, especially TikTok content, because I was like, I mean, at the end of the day, I am a legal professional, right? And we always have that pressure of looking serious all the time. But I think we live in an era now where personal branding is everything. And also there is a lot more acceptation of 
I guess even the industry is accepting more and more people to be themselves. And I think you have to be yourself because this is what what is going to pay dividends in the long run. This is what will make you fulfilled. So I would just say to people to definitely create, to document, just go out there, let the, the audience decide. You won't necessarily be successful on all content, but you never know. You never know until you try. So I guess definitely go with the flow, just do it, have fun, and you never know where it might lead to. You might meet some random lawyer in Australia that wants to have her have you on her podcast <laughs> on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Can you imagine now? Can you imagine all your way to Australia? This is the modern networking. You know, we're all stuck in our own countries, our own cities and own homes with COVID ongoing and we're all online. And I don't know if this is ultimately great for our mental health, but I feel like we're connecting online a lot and we're able to be a little bit more authentic and real and in posting things that are real for us, we attract like-minded people. So we then create these networks and these friendships and connections with people that we haven't met in the real world and we may not because who knows when we'll travel again. So I think the benefits of putting yourself out there are immense and I, I know you've experienced that, I've experienced that and if, if nothing more, it's great to try these new platforms and have a bit of fun, be a little bit creative. And I think not only that now, like, this is how we can make a difference in the industry because I think the legal industry is one of those industries that, you know, has taken ages to kind of adapt to social media, to technology. Um, we are really far behind still compared mm, to other industries, right? And I think the more we can, I guess, interact at a global scale, the more we can make, I, I guess, the quicker we will, we will be able to make a difference. I mean, you are in Australia, I'm a French qualified lawyer and I'm in the UK. And the content are relatable and mm -hmm. shared and across the world. You could have a US attorney relating to that because we all face the same challenges, irrespective of where, where we work and qualify. And to connect with the next generation as well and to give them a sense of what it what it really is like to be a lawyer and, and an in-house lawyer as well. What a great gift. You know, you, you, you're doing awesome work. I'm so here for it. <laughs> I can, cannot thank you enough for all of all of the smiles that you bring on a daily basis. What are you excited about at the moment? At the moment, I mean, to be fair, with COVID-19 and lockdown, there's nothing that really excites me um, in terms of the day-to-day. -day. But what I'm excited about, though, I guess, generally speaking, would be to see what comes next. I think, in a way, sad as the situation can be to some respect with COVID-19 and and all of that, I think it has also potentially created a shift. And I'm quite looking forward to see how, you know, we will be working in the future, you know, how the whole industry uh, is going to evolve. Because I think if it wasn't for COVID-19, we, we was, you know, we would still be heavily focused on being somewhere in an office working, for example. So I think, it, in, and the fact, as you were saying, you know, people now network more on social media, people put content out there. I'm excited to see what the, fu the future is going to bring for the legal industry and also what new opportunities lawyers would have. Because I think, and I hope that we are kind of moving away from the traditional in-house private practice jobs. I'm hoping that eventually we will have legal professionals doing other things, things that they might enjoy even more 
than the practice of law itself. That sounds really exciting. And I agree. I cannot wait to see what comes and what what is the future of work and what will we be talking about and doing in five years, 10 years. It's Yeah, it's going to be interesting times, that's for sure. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. My last question for you is where can my listeners find you online? You can definitely find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Wiss, O-U-I-S, and also on Instagram, uh, Very Lawyer Problems, and that's where I, I share all of the legal contents, the funny and accessible legal content. I will put all of the links to your socials in the show notes so where anyone can find you. I highly recommend go and follow Sarah. She's a bucket of fun and you will learn as well, which is, you know, education and, and entertainment. You really can't ask for much more. So Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.